Life Her Podcast. Her is me, her is you. Her is us, her is she, her is we. United we stand, baby, that her for keeps. I'm coming and I demand my space. I know it's free. I owe myself the world. They tried to count me out. I've been down some dark roads. They tried to pound me out. From cloudy to sunny, ain't think that I would make it out. I needed positive emotions to fill me out. Hey ladies, I am your host, Yvette Lloyd. I would like to welcome Melody to Life Her Podcast. Hey Melody. Hey girl, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. So good. tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Melody? Ah, who's Melody? Um, huh, that's such a question because I never really know how to answer that. Who am I? Um, well, I am originally from Harlem. Um, I grew up in Harlem in the 80s and 90s, so you can kind of imagine how that was. Um, I was raised by my grandparents, specifically my grandmother, my paternal grandmother. And I, um, yeah, so I lived in Harlem pretty much my entire life and then went to college. Uh, and then I moved. To Charlotte, North Carolina, in 2011, I believe it was, like 2011, and mainly because I just didn't want to raise my son in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. It's such a challenge, and you know, it's New York is kind of crazy. I love it. I love it. It's made me who I am. But I knew I wanted a change of scenery, and I knew that um, I wanted to give my son a different environment to grow in. So I moved here in 2011. I stayed here with family for a little bit, but then I kind of went out on my own and just like did my own thing. My background originally is in PR, public relations and communications, marketing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did that for nonprofits and entertainment PR and, and uh, that was fun, but exhausting. So I have been in nonprofits communications oh, probably about 15 years but wow. on December 31st 2019 I was my last day working for anyone wow <laughs> yeah so congratulations become, thank you thank you thank you I had kind of become like really disheartened by um the nonprofit sector and um, how it affects change, but then also how it treats its staff and treats its employees and the, the good work that it's supposed to do, but what you have to do in order to get it. And so, like, I was known for that. I was known for nonprofit, you know, working in nonprofit and doing marketing and doing communications. But then I also had this, like, side business that I had been trying to build for the longest. Um, and that kind of happened due to my experience. So I moved here, like I said, in 2011, and I met someone in 2013. And in 2013, I thought, oh, my gosh, this guy is amazing. Like, he's great. He's affectionate. He picks me up from work and takes me home and all this good stuff. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. And right. then slowly but surely, um, I've discovered that, like, he was abusive. Uh-huh. And so the interesting thing about that is when we first met, 
um, he was outright. He said, you know, I dated this girl, and she called the police on me and told me that I, you know, told them that I was abusive or whatever. So I have an arrest, you know, I have an arrest charge for that. He was like, I've never been convicted. Now, hmm. you make like right. you make you say, hmm. But you, right? but you so, know what's so crazy? Um, you know, sometimes us as women, we the, a guy will pamper us so good because it's something we've always been looking for. But it's like they give us signs and signals, but it still yeah. passes us by, and we just be like, "Oh, okay." Instead of doing our investigation early, instead of later. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and so there's that, but there's also I remember thinking. So to be transparent, my my mom has always been in abusive relationships for the most part of my childhood. I never lived with my mom, but. I saw domestic violence in in home with my you know my grandparents, my aunts, my um, uncles, my mom, and my dad at one point was um, an abusive man. And so my mindset was, I kind of like subconsciously so I was like, well, my dad, you know, definitely changed, and you know, so okay or whatever. But but I don't even think I was thinking that at the time. I just was like, oh, he dated some crazy girl who lied about him being abusive. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, okay, you know. And so we went about our business. We, he actually wound up moving in with me because he had some issues with where he was living. And so, and I say all of that because this all plays a role, right? You'll see. <laughs> so I, um, so we moved in together. He was working through temp agencies. He preferred to work through temp agencies, and so mm-hmm. I I still worked at my job, but I was working part-time. I worked at a local nonprofit, and I worked part-time. And so yeah. I enjoyed, um, prior to dating him, I went out a lot. I would go out a lot. I went to parties. I hung out with my friends. I was a social butterfly. But eventually, Aww. like, he started taking up so much of my time. You know, he he picking me up from work. He dropping me off. We're going food shopping. We're doing the family thing. I have a son. I have a, a – he's now 11, affectionately known as KGB. <laughs> and so, you know, we're doing the family thing. And I'm like, okay, this is great, you know. But eventually, things started shifting because – when we would have arguments, they would turn into these, like, big blowouts. They were just, like, extreme where it was, like, yelling and he's calling me a bitch and, you oh, know. My. And I'm from New York. So it's, like, uh, yeah. I'm from New York. I, I mean, I'm little. Like, I'm a little person. Like, I'm short. I'm only 5'1". But I don't take any shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so Most of y'all don't. I, most well, of y'all I mean, you know, this is true. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, you're not going to talk to me that way. So you need to chill out, whatever. And we're going back and forth. And, you know, and then slowly but surely it starts to escalate. And so it went from just like arguments to yelling to name calling to grabbing me and holding me, not, you know, not letting me move and 
it just started escalating. And in May 2015, we had an argument, a huge blowout. And I was saying, you know, let me just leave. Let me walk out the house so that I can diffuse the situation and we can have some semblance of a conversation later. Like, let me remove myself, right? Because that's generally, if things are getting heated, the mature thing to do is to remove yourself from the situation. So I was headed to walk out the door, and he grabs me and flings me to the ground so hard that Mm -hmm. I sprained my ankle. Now, mind you, I played football, like like little touch football as a kid. I was I climbed trees, I ran track, and I have never broken a bone. I have never sprained an ankle. I have never fractured anything ever. And at so this is 2015, so I was 35. So at 35, I sprained my ankle. Correction. Let me use correct words. He sprained my ankle. (laughs) And so I couldn't even stand up. And so I was screaming and he runs out the door because now he knows he's fucked up. He's fucked up. And so my neighbor comes and she has a knife in her hand and she's helping me and she's telling my son, come on, come on. And we go into her apartment and we call now. Her her partner had already been on the phone with 911. And so because they can hear us. They can hear, they can hear the arguing, the fighting, they can hear all of that. And so you would think, right, that that would make me go, enough is enough, right? And I did for a little bit. I went and I got a restraining order. And I had to, you know, they told me I had a sprain and I was on crutches and I had bruises and scratches from us going back and forth. And you would think that would make me go, enough. But he violated the restraining order to tell me, I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm so sorry, I apologize, and, you know, please forgive me. Will you marry me? Oh, that's a good one. Will you marry me? Yeah, and right. So, and so after a while, you know, I didn't, I didn't go back to court to extend the restraining order, and he moved back in and, you know, all this other stuff. And, so, you know, we, he, he would say that this was my fault, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. But then as time went on, he was like, you're out of control. You don't listen. You were out of control. This is, that was your fault. You did that. You brought that on yourself. And I was like, uh, no, the fuck I did it. <laughs> oh, I did not bring this on myself at all. And so... Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know, they love bomb you. So they show you all this affection and they, you think that everything is good, but then they are who they are until they get help. And so if you're in denial about the fact that you're an abusive person, eventually that's going to come back. And it started to come back. You know, I recall one time that he held me down and he had a pillow over my face. And he had his knee in my chest. And... I'm like, okay, this is not, this is not cool. This is not how this is supposed to be at all. Now, mind you, mind you, very few people knew what was going on with this. Very few people knew what was going on. Uh, and I think those who did 
didn't want to acknowledge that, you know, I was experiencing abuse. I think that was really hard. And I think that was hard because even myself, it, I couldn't even articulate. You know, I couldn't even say the words at all that I was a victim of domestic violence. I was being abused. I could not articulate those words. I could not say them. And that was really hard for me. So I can't imagine my friends, my close friends, who mind you, most of them are in New York. So I didn't really Mm -hmm. have a ton of friends out here. Most of them are in New York. Okay. And my family that is here, they have their own stuff going on. You know what I mean? They have their own stuff going on. And so I I started to kind of like push back. Like I, I started to be less submissive. I started to really just like not take his word at anything. And so we were bickering and he stopped paying his bills, his portion of the bills. So what made you continue to stay after that? Because I loved him at the time. And I thought that, you know, we could overcome this. Right. I really thought that we could overcome it because I didn't understand how abuse works. Okay. Yeah. From you, from you seeing it, from you growing up seeing it, it was like, uh, um, it was kind of normalized. Yeah, that's what you're saying, like an ongoing cycle. And so it's funny because I remember, and I share this all the time. It's interesting because when I was younger, my mother would be abused. I would always say that would never be me. I would always say that. I would say that would never happen. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying that. I was so angry with my mother so angry with my mother because my mother was is she was just this warrior woman you know she was this woman who she took no stuff she grew up in the 70s and 80s of Harlem she did what she had to do she bust ass and did what she had to do and so I couldn't because I saw as someone who was being abused as weak right that's the that's the mm-hmm. idea that they tell us someone who's experiencing that is weak and that's what he would always call me. He would always call me weak. Always call me weak. He's like, you're See, weak. you know, you're what's, a, what's amazing about a person that used words against you, like as far as a man, is really a reflection of themselves yeah. on how they feel. And they yeah, make and us and us as women, by us being so nurturing, so caring and loving, we mm-hmm. we think we could change that man mm-hmm. and create him to love us and right. be able to you know treat us the way we want to be treated, but not knowing we hindering ourselves. Yeah, and I think the other part, especially this happens in um in relationships that are abusive, is that it's a it's a it's we're always in turmoil. We're always in and anxiety we're always in that but there's these like fake moments of like love where we you know but reality is we're still walking around on pins and needles so even when times felt quote-unquote good I still walked around on pins and needles because I didn't know what I was going to say or do that or where let's talk about that right or where that would trigger him into attacking me whether verbally emotionally physically all of that stuff so it took a lot and so I didn't I didn't leave right away when I sprained my ankle and I stayed 
And eventually he started not paying bills. And I was like, look, now, if my mother has not taught me anything, it is that nobody can live anywhere for free. That is just mm-hmm. expressing your own person. You right. cannot live anywhere for free. And so I said, you have to pay your bills. And if you cannot pay your bills, you have to leave my house. He's like, you don't own this. I said, you live here. You don't own shit. <laughs> like, like, who do you think? Like, this, this apartment's in my name. Like, so for you to try to insult me, like, it's just an apartment building. You don't own it. I'm like, but you don't even own this. <laughs> you don't even have anything in your name. Right. So, you know, they try to insult you, and, they, you know, they try to find ways. And that, honestly, was the tip of the iceberg for me was him not paying his bills. And I recall one day we were arguing, March 12, 2016. <laughs> we were arguing, and I said, you have to pay your rent by the time I get back, because if you don't, then you have to leave, and I will file an eviction. He was like, "Well, you need to talk to me." I said, "We don't have." I said, "We'll talk once you pay." But if you're not going to pay, you can't stay here. And so he was really just like annoyed by that. And we got into a big old argument, and I left. I remember I was leaving because I was taking my son to acting class. And so after I left there, my stepmother called me, who wound up moving here. My stepmother calls me, and she says. So you should probably know that, no, 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 I'm correction, I'm sorry. He's calling me. He's like, you're going to jail. You're going to jail. Watch. And I said, okay, bye, click, hung up. And I wound up hanging out with my son, doing things, and I, we may have, I can't recall if we went to family's house or whatever, but we were just out and about. And my stepmother calls me. She says, don't go back home. And I'm like, what? She says, he called the cops on you. Like, what? he pressed charges against you. He said that you threw a sneaker at him. And I said, I'm sorry, say that again? So he went and filed a charge on me. Now, he called so the cops me, first. Now, cops so said. let me ask you this. Yeah. Have you ever called the cops on him? Oh, yeah. The cops were really familiar with us. Oh, uh, yeah. I called. They were really familiar with us. Some of them gave a damn. Some of them did not. Most of them did not. It was literally one guy that actually gave a damn. Most of them so did do you not. Think, do you think of them not caring because they knew it was something ongoing or, right. or they so, just didn't completely care? Yeah. So <laughs> when it comes to domestic violence, there are two types of officers, I find. There's okay. those who take it extremely seriously because... Mm-hmm. Most times when officers are shot in the line of duty, it is in response to a domestic violence call. Majority of the time. Now, the statistics, well-known, you can look it up. Majority of the time. So some of them take it really seriously. And then there are others who victim blame. Right. Right. And they don't have any sympathy. They don't care because they say, well, you're just going to go back anyway. And we're going to talk, like, we can talk about that, too, that whole idea of women just, or victims in general, just going back. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that, too, you know. And so at that point, I was like, well, this relationship is definitely over. You've officially called the cops. You're trying to get me arrested. And that is it. Like, you know, like, that is it. I said, we're done. 
we're absolutely done. And he's calling me or whatever, and I was like, just leave my, just leave my house. I don't want to even want to talk. Just leave. Like you don't, just leave. Grab your stuff and go. Like leave. And so I stayed with my family for a while, and wow. I had to go to court. I had to get. I had to go to court. And so we had to, because the officers weren't taking the report. He went to the magistrate. He filed the charge, and we had to go to mediation. Mm-hmm. So this is a, someone who, um, this is someone who has a record for assault on a female. Uh, this is someone who I'm not married to. We have no property together. We have no children together. But we had to go to mediation. And I had to sit there while he tells the mediators all the things that he did for me. I did this and I did that and na da 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 And so the mediator said, well, you know, we can solve this really easily with, with a no contact rule, no contact order. For both of you guys, like neither one. And so I said, oh, that's fine. Let's do it. Let's get it. Right. right? <laughs> and, and he said, no, she needs to say that she hit me with a sneaker. I said, I didn't Wow. Do and so he still wants to be in control of yep. everything. And you know, that's where the manipulation comes in. Yeah. And the fact of them, them playing with your mind in so many mm-hmm. ways. To make mm-hmm. you feel guilty off what you've done and eliminate yep. whatever they have done over the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. The biggest thing is the emotional and mental abuse. For me, yes. that is the biggest, biggest thing. Because for the longest, and even sometimes periodically now, words that he would say would still seep into my consciousness. It just happened. You know, it's something happened or someone said something to me that reminded me of the things that he would say it would make me you know jump like what wait what you know and so anywho to kind of like fast forward a little bit we went back and forth to court I actually had to get a, a lawyer because we couldn't come to an agreement during mediation so we had to go to criminal court I had to get a lawyer. I had to miss work a lot. I had to find childcare for my son. And in between all of that, he was stalking me. Wow. And so he was showing up at my job. He went to my, he spoke to my, uh, my colleagues to tell them that I was arrested and that I was abusive. He would show up at my son's school. He showed up at my stepmom's house. He showed up at my sister's house. He showed up at my friend's job. He called people. He inboxed friends. Like, it was ongoing. He would email me all day and all night. He would text me all day and all night. Never mind that I would tell him, you need to not call me. I sent him the the actual law around stalking to say like this is illegal you need to stop communicating even after he climbed into my apartment window um, he took things from my apartment that did not belong to him I tried to get a restraining order the judge told me that I'm just mad because he's breaking up with me even though I'm the one that's bringing the the charge the judge said that yeah yeah wow and then you know sometimes they wonder why women are afraid to even call the police or calling right. one because no one isn't securing them. They're not, they yeah. not making them feel safe. Yeah. Because yeah. of how they, how they have these laws of women being abused. And sometimes 
shoot, sometimes them judges and officers and stuff, they do it at home too. So all police officers have the highest rate of um, domestic violence, yes. They do. They have an exceptionally high rate of domestic violence. Uh, and so, you know, the judge did give me my apartment back, though, even though he took things and gave him a deadline to pick up his stuff. Uh-huh. And when the deadline came, he came for a little bit, and he saw that my homeboy was there, and he felt some kind of way, and so he just left his stuff. And But even after court, he showed up. He was he stalked me at the court, like, and <laughs> I go out the building, he's there, and I'm like, why are you here? Like, stop talking to me. And he's like, you're out of control. You need to just listen to me. I'm the, you know, I'm the man. And I was like, if you got to tell me you're the man, are you really the man? <laughs> like, are you uh-huh. really, though? And so it was a lot. And so if you think that you leave and everyone thinks, okay, once you leave, it's over with. No. When you leave, that increases your risk of being killed. When a woman leaves, when a victim of domestic violence leaves, that increases their chance of being killed three times over. And I think that's what people do not understand. This is a man who absolutely said that he would kill me, kill me and him. And so when we tell people to leave, just leave, when we tell women just leave, that it is not that easy. Because when we're, to, when we're with them, we can kind of manage their temperament a little bit. We kind of know, like we learn a little bit of what their triggers are, right? right. We know don't wear that because he's going to feel some kind of way about that. You know, don't say this. Don't agree with this. We kind of can temperament certain things. But when we leave, all bets are off because we've escalated the situation. How dare we leave them? How dare we leave them? And people do not understand. When you see that a woman has been murdered by her partner, by her abuser, it is most of the time after she left. She made the decision to leave. Right. She was unsafe because there are very little restraining orders are sadly just paper. Yeah, some uh, some most of them they don't care about no restraining order. Oh no, not at all. I told you he violated the restraining order with no problem. Violated the restraining order. You know he could have been. I could have sent him to jail right then and there. So how did it? How did it end up becoming to a point he just left you alone? Like so. Yeah. So what happened was we went to criminal court. And I spoke to my lawyer, and I explained to her and her supervisor, I said, listen, basically this is just my abuser using the system to control me because he can't physically, financially, emotionally control me anymore. So now he's using the system to do it. So this is me, you know, making an inconvenience that I have to take off work. I have to find child care. I, I had to get, you know, I had to print out all the text messages, all the emails, I had mm-hmm. to get notices from my colleagues about what he said to them. My sisters came to court with me. My uh, One of my good friends came to court with me. And so she spoke to me, and she says, well, now he's saying that you slapped him. <laughs> I said, yeah, so he's changing the story. And, like, you're trying to escalate the charge, right? You're trying to escalate the charge so that eventually I could potentially go to jail. 
Yeah, but you so, have all the evidence in the world of all the things he's been doing. Yeah, yeah. And so she said, okay, well, hold on one second. She said, we probably have to, you know, get another court date because I need to look at all the evidence. Got it. I said, well, I'll be here, and I'll be here at the other court date. And uh. So she went, and I sat down, and she said, okay, we'll sit right here for a second. I sat down in the courtroom, and she went up to the DA, and she comes back, and she says, well, come walk out with me. I said, okay. And she hands me a paper. She said, your case is dismissed. So I could only assume that the DA said, well, wait a minute. You originally said that she hit you with a sinker. Now you're saying she slapped you. And, and you have a record for assault on a female, and you have a record of assault with this particular female, right? And so I think because of that, he couldn't, he didn't have any other, he didn't have any other ways to control. Because he knew if he came to me again, I was going to call the cops and he was going to go to jail. I was going to press charges. He was going to go to jail. Like I meant that wholeheartedly. He was going to go to jail. And I told him that. I said, either you're going to go to jail or you're going to die. It's one or the other at this point because you you cannot keep putting me against the wall and thinking that I'm not going to fight back. Like, that, it, it was enough at that point. You know what I mean? Like, it was enough. And as soon as I said enough and that I realized that I was capable of caring for myself because I, part of it felt like I needed his money to take to pay the bills, right? Uh, but when I realized that, no, I I can do this on my own. I don't need saving. I don't need anybody to save me. I don't need anybody to take care of me. I can do this on my own. And once I realized that and that I had my own power and I can control my own destiny, I didn't care about anything else. Of my mm-hmm. freedom of in all ways, my freedom, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, all of that is my number one priority still. And so I felt that once I overcame that, once I was able to leave that situation, that I was unstoppable. <laughs> like, seriously, I was unstoppable. As a cliche as that sounded, I was unstoppable. And it showed every day, every day, every time after that, it showed. Whenever I showed up authentically, Whenever I showed up in a way that was freeing for myself and for others, I didn't have any issues anymore. I didn't have issues with work and and securing the bag in terms of like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is how much money I want to make. Are you going to give this to me? Yes, we will. Awesome. Let's do it. This is what I want to do. You know, like it just became this like flow of abundance. Right. You know, and so that's kind of what drove me to where I am now in the work that I do now, because I feel like if I can empower, if I can support other women and getting free and getting free, free from all of it, free from other people's expectations of us, free from our expectations of ourselves that are rooted in, um, hurt and pain and trauma, like if I can do that, then I feel better. So the more I help other people, the more I help other women, the more I help mothers, that helps me. That heals me. 
every single time. So that's what drove me to becoming a full-time domestic violence and motherhood speaker. That's what drove me to become a blogger and blog about the craziness of my silliness and seriousness of my life. That's what drove me to um, becoming a domestic violence coach and coaching women to how you've left and now what? That is the biggest thing. You've left and now what? Because you don't know. This is a whole new world of freedom, right, that we are discovering about ourselves and about our world. So Mm -hmm. how do we navigate that? Mm Mm-hmm. So how and, how did yeah. you like after you dealt with all that? Did you mm-hmm. ever go to counseling for yourself? Because you know sometimes when we go through things like that, we yeah. find ourselves traumatized, and then yeah. if we meet another guy, you know we be on pins and needles. Mm-hmm. We look for signs. We mm-hmm. listen to certain things that they say. So mm-hmm. have you? Are you still battling that, or you find yourself overcoming it a little? After yeah. seeking help. Right. So in 2015, after the situation with my ankle, I went to counseling. Okay. And I went, which the crazy thing is like, I was going to counseling, right? But he was driving me there. So I'm going to counseling to talk about this man, but he's driving me there, you know, but my counselor was great. And she didn't really focus so much on him per se, but more so on me and yeah. what what my journey looks like and, and how that's can some good I... that's some good counseling because yeah. you know you don't want to focus on him because you you do right. that already so right. when you when you find time out for yourself to recognize different toxic traits that you have it could it helps you build mm-hmm. yourself up and mm-hmm. realize like who you are as far as your self-worth absolutely and so I went back after I left after I left him, I went back and I would go once a week <laughs> to counseling and talk to her and it was great and it it was a stepping stone. So I'm a huge proponent of getting you a therapist, counselor, whatever, especially someone who has um experienced domestic violence. So my counselor had was a survivor herself. And so that okay. really helped because then she can actually understand where I'm coming from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She can get the emotional roller coaster. And she had been out of it. It's funny because I remember her telling me that there was a moment recently where her new husband said something and she looked at him like, who do you think you're talking to? Right? And she said, I have not been in an abusive relationship in damn near 20 years. And still something triggered her. You know, so there's never a time that you're like completely over it. There's always going to be moments that come up. It's how you deal with it. Yes. It's how you handle it. It's how you push through it. That's really, you know, going to matter the most. And so for me, it's like I did all the things. So to kind of help me heal from this. So I did counseling. I did journaling. I wound up doing some walking and running again. I wound up um, really delving more into what my spiritual practice is. Uh, Talking to people, talking to people helps me so much. 
it helps me so much. And so, and just sharing that story because we have so many misconceptions and we have so many stigmas around domestic violence, in particular around those who experience domestic violence. Not right. so much abusers. We're like, okay, abusers, they're abused. But right. those who experienced it, oh my gosh, you know, we have so many stigmas around them, around us that it's just like, and I've gone through that. Like I've had a guy who wanted, who was interested in me and say, well, you know, I don't know how your experience with, a, you know, abuse will affect a, if, a relationship if we got into one. And I was in there like, same way, your own trauma, <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying, can show up. Like, it's no different. Your childhood trauma, your adult trauma, all of that stuff still plays a role in your life to this day. Yeah, You know, it's just a matter of how you cope with it. It's how you deal with it. So, like, not dating me because immediately because I've experienced domestic violence is like, okay, all right, cool. <laughs> but I took a while to start dating again. I took a, I took a couple of, I took a, uh, about a year or so to like actually start, a little bit more than a year, to actually start dating again. I took time. <laughs> That's I didn't want good. to rush into that. Yeah. That's good because sometimes people find it hard. You know, sometimes we're scared to be alone and yeah. we find ourselves getting into another relationship when we haven't even figured out the relationship with ourselves. You look now, look now. Yeah. Yeah. So what, once you started dating and everything, how did you feel while you were dating? Did you find yourself like communicating about the guy about what happened to you and talk talk about your ex a lot because sometimes women do that too and then the guy you're dating he start he I know sometimes some men will start doing the things that you said that your ex had did mm-hmm. and yeah so I'm, go ahead no I was gonna say I um did not do that like, okay, I did good. express to him that, you know, this is what I experienced, and sometimes it plays a role, sometimes it doesn't, but for the most part, no, I didn't, um, I didn't really talk about my ex, my ex that, my, you know, the abuser at all. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, you know, if it was something that he may have done, like the person that I was with at the time, mm-hmm. if he did something that I, like, directly linked to something I would call him out on it like hey you can't you can't say that you know what I mean or you can't do that it was never any it was a it was a nice guy like don't get me wrong it was a nice guy but um so I didn't really have to go through that whereas like yes my ex used to do this my ex used to, no I didn't do that I left that I like I did a whole ritual to let that go like a whole ritual in order to just like release that and so I was intentional about not bringing that old baggage so heavily into my next relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. good. So how how are you feeling today? I feel great. Like, hey. I feel great. I always feel, you know, I have, I didn't realize how, cared for and supported I was until after I left. 
that relationship, that situation. I didn't know. And so once I discovered that, it just became um, just even better. Like I knew who supported me and who was there for me. And I felt like I could really rely on people, you know, because Mm -hmm. we are so isolated. Yeah. We are so isolated during that, you know, when we are with someone. And that's why, like, even with COVID-19, it's like, people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're going to have to be stuck in a house. And sometimes my freedom, my, you know, my freedom was connected to me going to work because I was able to not deal with the bull crap that was going on at home. So work right. But if right. you are quarantined at home, if you are stuck at home, if your city has a stay-at-home order, home isn't always safe for a lot of people. Yeah, and just and, a, so, and I was saying that just imagine some of the women that deal with abuse, they are quarantined yep. with these men. Yep. And so and a lot, you know, terrible. a lot of calls have been happening, a lot, you know, a lot of the domestic violence organizations as well as the police force are saying they are receiving an increase in domestic violence calls because of the stay-at-home order. And so that's really scary, you know, because a lot of times these victims do not have, and I hate to use the term victims, but those who are experienced domestic violence don't have anywhere to go, or they're not, they're, or they're unsure of where they can go, you know? Uh-huh. And so I, I had, I held a webinar just for survivors because this can be really triggering, like that sense of not feeling protected, right? Mm-hmm. Because your abuser is someone who always tells you, like, I'm the only one that can protect you. I'm the only one that cares about you. And when you have this, when you are isolated from your network that actually helps you cope and deal in different ways that they may not even realize it, it can bring up a lot of old stuff for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I did host a webinar and I'll probably host a few more just to kind of give those folks like ideas of what they can do to feel protected, to feel secure, you know, during this time, because it's so important that we keep a positive mindset because we can go down that road again, you know? Yes. Yes. So tell us a little bit more, elaborate on what you do as far as um, for a living. Yeah. So I am a full-time speaker. I speak about domestic violence and I speak about motherhood in general. And specifically about being a single mom, which of course has its own challenges, uh, especially when you have a really hilarious son. He's really hilarious. And so (laughs) he keeps me on my toes. And so I speak about that. I speak at different companies and organizations. I offer workshops around uh, how employees can support those who are experiencing domestic violence within the workforce. Um, encouraging companies to develop domestic violence policies because a lot of companies don't realize that each year they lose millions of dollars due to domestic violence in different ways. It can be just because, you know, the violence came to the office. It can be because of 
health insurance and victims having to constantly go to the hospital. It can be because of losing employees and they have to rehire, like, all of these different factors. And so when you have a domestic violence policy in place, it reduces those risks of losing money as well as losing employees and it not wow. being a safe environment for everyone. So I talk about that. I do workshops around that. I do workshops around just women in general, but specifically mothers going for what they deserve and oftentimes, like, not second-guessing ourselves. And that can be in career, that can be in relationships, that can be in friendships too. Like how do you show up as yourself, but then also how are you asked for what you need, which okay. a lot of times we don't, you know. But specifically domestic violence, and then also I'll be, I'm launching a domestic violence um, online coaching program wow. that okay. is for those who have left the relationship but now they're trying to create a new normal. Okay. And what does that look like? How do they develop, you know, self-love? How do they work on forgiving themselves? Because we hold a lot of guilt. I know I held a lot of guilt around that. Um, how do we connect, reconnect with our children after domestic violence? Um, you know, parenting after that. So, and a bunch of other different areas that I found and speaking with other survivors, as including myself, is just like what we had to go through to kind mm -hmm. of create this new world, this new normal, and really showing up in a way that say, yes, I experienced that, but that is not all of who I am. You know? Wow. Yes. Yes. I applaud you for doing that. Because this is so much needed and a lot of awareness need to be brought out. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I myself, I'm a victim of domestic violence. So if you ever need someone to speak about it, I got a testimony, I have one also. Awesome. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> yes. So I, yes. you know, and it works some some people, you know, they went to counseling and they are fine and they went through that. Some people use you know, spirituality and religion for them to go through their healing. Some people discover their voice and they don't shut up. I am one of those people. <laughs> but I am one of those people. I talk about it all the time. I try to give people tips on how they can support friends. Mm -hmm. You know, because I remember one of my best friends, she said to me, she said she even called the hotline to figure out what could she do to help me. And she was in New York, and I'm in Charlotte, and she just was like, I need to find something, some way to help support my friends. Right. You know? Right. And that's important because we think that it doesn't touch us, but it does. Right. It does. We all it's important and it's hard. It's yeah. important and hard. It is. I think the only, the only thing that saved me from my experience is with me having a youth program for young girls mm -hmm. I I yeah. never like to contradict myself mm -hmm. it's like you know I go to a group session with them I'm talking to them about different things I didn't I wouldn't have felt right if I was to tell them one thing and I'm going through another at home right. so so right. right when so right when my incident happened I left him right then and there. So mine right. wasn't continuously. So mm -hmm. those the girls saying my life 
and my husband, we were just friends. We was like the best of friends. And Mm -hmm. from us praying together and, and communicating and everything, we end up becoming in a relationship like a year or so later. But it was just me going having that village there. But it was yeah. just it was but my main thing was like my girls because I know they go through stuff and they look up to me a lot. Yeah, so. that's so yeah, we all have our um outlet. Outlets, and so yes. I, I think the other thing is that, and this is something that I've been really mulling over, is also like how do we teach young people about healthy relationships? I did not yes. see healthy relationships when I was younger. I did not see it. And so mm-hmm. I couldn't base my relationships off of anything other than what I kind of knew I didn't want to deal with. But that's the tricky part about abuse is that it sneaks up on you. This person doesn't just automatically just start hitting you immediately. It is right. progressive. Just like how you date and you get to know someone, you're like, oh, I like this person. Okay, I, I think I really have feelings for this person. Oh, my God, I think I love this person. I'm in love with this person. Like, it is progression. It's the same thing with abuse. It is progression. And you know what's another thing? Um that us as women have a lack of lack of is having fathers so we don't Mm -hmm. know sometimes that what a nurturing father a father that love us and care about us and tell us how to how a man should treat us or even show Mm -hmm. us you know different things in our nature it's like sometimes we don't have that and then it don't even necessarily have to be physical abuse some guys mm-hmm. do it mentally, emotionally, and verbally. Financially. It's like, yes, financially, mm-hmm. everything. And some of us don't even notice it because yeah. it's like, I don't know. It's just something about us women. We endure and take on so much. But yeah. let us do something to that man. He, right. like, no. <laughs> right. Like, no. And so it's interesting because... So my dad was an active person in my life. He was an active, active person in my life. Um, I've been blessed with, like, my dad and I are super close. Mm -hmm. And we had a conversation recently, and he's super supportive of my journey and my path. And, you know, he was ready to come down here and lay hands, you know. Uh, But I remember him telling me that, a part of the reason why he did it was because it was a learned behavior. He said every man that he knew when he was growing up all put their hands on their women. He said, I don't know not one who did it. And that says a lot, right? Because abuse is a learned behavior on both sides. Right. It is abuse on learned behavior. My abuser said that his, you know, his dad was abusive. Wow. You listen. Yeah. So it's you know, it's it's definitely a learned behavior. It takes a lot to unlearn, just like it takes a lot for us to unlearn a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, that we've learned in childhood. A lot of what we've learned in childhood does not or should not apply to what we do now. You know, so really accepting the fact that there's traits that we all have that we've learned that we should let go of is important. 
Wow. Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you just being so transparent about yeah. and everything that you do. And I'm so happy that you are bringing awareness because it is so needed. Like, it's so yeah. needed. And, it's, and if any um, of your listeners are like, you know, if they feel like they may be in a situation, if they're questioning if, they should, if they're in a situation that doesn't seem healthy, look, I, my social media is open. Uh, they can definitely reach out to me. We'll try to figure it out together. I have no problems whatsoever with that. Um, I think it's well, super please important. Let's get, please let us know your information. How can they oh, yeah. get in contact yeah. with you? Yep, so my uh, social media handle for all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, <laughs> is I am Melody Cole. That's I-A-M-M-E-L-O-D-Y-C-O. My website is www.iammelody.co. And my email is fearless at iammelody.co. So any way to reach out to me, let me know. We can talk it through. It could be something. It could be nothing. I've had people reach out to me and say, well, I can't really figure this out. It's, it, you know, but also trust your gut. Our gut, our signs, you know, our gut always lets us know. And sometimes we try to put that away. But trust your gut. You know if you know. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some encouraging words that you could share with women to help them heal themselves and prosper in life absolutely so what one thing i will say is that you are competent capable resourceful and whole and that's something that i've been learning through my coaching training program is that we are all capable resourceful whole creative we have all of that in us it's a matter of digging deep to get it out and so that we can always know what what our needs are and how can we meet them. We don't need anyone else to meet them. That, and the other thing I will also say is that it is okay. There is no shame in what you've experienced. It is no shame whatsoever in what you experience. It is a lesson. It is a lesson that you will learn and that once you come out of it, you will be so much stronger and so much more doper than you could even imagine. So go mm-hmm. for it. Go for that freedom Go for that fearlessness and do it. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I no really problem. appreciate this. Like you the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having this. This is really dope. Like, I was like, okay, let me check this out. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Life Her Podcast, where we help heal women all over the world. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Life Her Podcast, and check out our YouTube page as well. And make sure you subscribe. You can also look onto our website and you can purchase merchandise and listen to the podcast episodes. I am Yvette Lloyd. I am Life Her. Love yourself, ladies. Take care of yourself and others you love dearly. Stay tuned for the next session, don't make it be your last